Hey you guys, welcome back to the Nursing School Week by Week podcast. I'm your host, Melanie, and today we're talking about heart failure. But real quick, I just got to say how excited I am right now because the podcast has been listed by Feedspot as one of the top 10 nursing school podcasts on the web. And that is so cool. It's things like that and reading all of your reviews that keep me going with this. In fact, I'm talking about heart failure today because you guys requested it. All right. So what is heart failure? Well, it's not when the heart stops. That would be cardiac arrest. Heart failure is when the heart isn't pumping enough blood for your body. And this is either because the heart ventricle isn't able to fill up all the way, or it's too weak to pump out the blood once it's filled up. The main cause of heart failure is hypertension over a long period of time, but it could also be caused by a heart attack that causes part of the heart muscle to die or a problem with the valves of the heart. There are other causes as well, but you're probably not going to be tested on that. So moving on. All right. So if the heart is not pumping as much blood out, that means what essential thing is not getting to the tissues? That's right. Oxygen. And when there's not enough oxygen circulating throughout your body, there's one organ that's going to notice right away. She's kind of a spoiled little diva, this one. She's the kidney. And the kidneys are going to sense this lack of oxygen, but interpret it as low blood pressure. So they're going to do what they can to increase the blood pressure. And what's one of the main ways we increase blood pressure? By increasing the blood volume. And if you'll remember back to your anatomy class, the kidneys increase the blood volume by activating the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. And this is going to make the body retain fluids. And the kidneys think that they're helping, but they're really just making things worse because now the patient is fluid overloaded. So when you think of heart failure, that starts with an H and an F. I want you to think high fluids, HF. Heart failure equals high fluids. There are two types of heart failure that you need to know, left-sided and right-sided. Left-sided is the most common, and this happens when there's something wrong with the left ventricle. And remember, this means either the ventricle isn't filling up all the way during diastole, or it's not getting all the blood out with that systolic contraction. Either way, it means the blood is going to back up into the lungs. Because think about how the blood flows through the heart. The unoxygenated blood goes into the right side of the heart, then is pumped to the lungs where it exchanges CO2 for that yummy oxygen, and then it goes to the left side of the heart to be pumped up through the aorta and out to the whole body. So if the left ventricle isn't able to send that blood along that it just got from the lungs, then that blood is going to back up into the lungs. So I want you to think of the L in left-sided heart failure like the L for lungs. Left-sided heart failure equals lungs because we're going to see a lot of pulmonary symptoms with left-sided heart failure. The three main signs and symptoms to remember for left-sided heart failure are crackles in the lungs, pink frothy sputum, and orthopnea, which is shortness of breath when lying down flat. 
So these patients will often tell you they have to prop themselves up on multiple pillows to sleep at night, or they may even sleep in a recliner because that helps them breathe. The other type of heart failure, right-sided heart failure, is when the right ventricle isn't contracting effectively. And it's easy to remember what kinds of signs and symptoms you're going to see with right-sided heart failure if you think about where the blood is coming from that goes into the right atrium. It's coming from the inferior and superior vena cava, which gets blood from all over the body. So if the right ventricle isn't pumping the blood along to the lungs, then it's going to back up through the whole body, and we're going to see a lot of edema. So just like you think left-sided heart failure equals lungs, I want you to think right-sided heart failure equals the rest of the body. So left-sided equals lungs, and right-sided equals the rest of the body. The four signs you need to remember for right-sided heart failure are, number one, peripheral edema, so swelling of the hands and feet. Number two, jugular vein distension, or JVD. This is when you have the patient turn their head to the side a bit and look for a bulging neck vein. And number three sign is ascites, or fluid buildup in the abdomen. And number four is weight gain. So once again, the four signs you need to know for right-sided heart failure are peripheral edema, JVD, ascites, and weight gain. And as far as the weight gain goes, anything over three pounds gained in one day or five pounds in a week is indicative of right-sided heart failure. So beyond a physical assessment of the patient, how do we know they are in heart failure? There are three diagnostic tests we use to tell. The echocardiogram, hemodynamic monitoring, and the B-type natriuretic peptide, or BNP. The echocardiogram uses sound waves to make an image of the heart, and it also gives us the ejection fraction of the heart. The ejection fraction is the percentage of blood that's pumped out with each contraction. A normal healthy heart will have an ejection fraction, or EF, of 55 to 70%. But the ejection fraction for someone with heart failure will be 40% or less. So let's say poor Bob has an ejection fraction of 35%. This means that only 35% of the blood being filled in his left ventricle is actually being pumped out. The second diagnostic test, hemodynamic monitoring, uses a catheter that's placed in a vessel that directly measures the pressures, including the central venous pressure or the blood pressure inside the vena cava. A normal CVP, or central venous pressure, is between 2 and 8. Anything over 8 is indicative of heart failure or fluid retention. The last diagnostic test for heart failure is the BNP, or B-type natriuretic peptide. BNP is a hormone that's released by the heart ventricles when they're being stretched open. The more the heart is stretched and the harder it's having to work, the more BNP will be found in the blood. A BNP of anything over 100 is abnormal. So 100 to 600 is mild, 600 to 900 is moderate, and anything over 900 is severe heart failure. So how do we treat heart failure? What can we do for these patients? We're going to treat heart failure with medications and diet restrictions. One first-line medication is diuretics. 
These patients are fluid overloaded because their kidneys have activated that renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, which is causing them to hold on to any fluids they get. So the doctor is going to order diuretics, such as furosemide, to help the kidneys release that water. But remember, with loop and thiazide diuretics, these will also cause the body to get rid of potassium. So we're going to need to keep a close eye on the patient's potassium levels to make sure they don't become hypokalemic. This is why you may see the doctor order a potassium-sparing diuretic, such as spironolactone, along with a loop or thiazide diuretic, in order to balance out that potassium level and keep it within a normal range of 3.5 to 5. Another first-line treatment is ACE inhibitors and are often prescribed with beta blockers. ACE inhibitors end in pril, like lisinopril, and they block the conversion of angiotensin 1 to angiotensin 2. So they're going to stop the body from retaining fluids by blocking that renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. One side effect to remember with ACE inhibitors is they can sometimes cause a dry, nagging cough, in which case the patient would probably be switched to an ARB or angiotensin-2 receptor blocker. These end in sartan, like losartan. So the main medications prescribed for heart failure are diuretics, ACE inhibitors, ARBs, and beta blockers. Digoxin used to be prescribed a lot because it makes the heart contraction stronger, but we don't see it as much anymore because the drug level can build up in the blood, especially if that patient has low potassium, and it can have toxic effects. Just remember, digoxin is a toxin. Digoxin is a toxin. Also, know the normal digoxin level is 0.5 to 2.0. So anything over 2.0 is considered digoxin toxicity. If the patient does have digoxin toxicity, they may get vision changes and see yellowish-green halos. As the nurse, you would hold the next dose of digoxin, notify the provider, and expect to be giving the antidote, which is digibind. Most of you probably use Picmonic, and they have a really good story and picture to help you remember these medications as part of their heart failure interventions, Picmonic. And I'm going to play just a little clip of it here for you. And is whizzed away by the dye rocket, which represents the use of diuretics in heart failure patients to decrease preload. Beta blockers, shown by the beta fish with blocks, can also be used, along with angiotensin II receptor blockers, the angel tennis players in tutus, or ACE inhibitors, the ACE inhibitor guards. Once you look at the picture that goes along with that Picmonic, it'll make more sense to you. If you don't have Picmonic, you should definitely check it out, and I'll put a link in the show notes so you can save 20%. All right, what are some nursing interventions that we can do for our patients with heart failure? This is where the majority of your test questions are going to come from, so listen up. We can raise the head of their bed to 45 degrees or high Fowler's position. Remember, these patients often have orthopnea or shortness of breath when they're lying down, but it goes away if they can stay in an upright position. So keep the head of the bed at a 45 degree angle. We can give them supplemental oxygen if their oxygen saturation drops below 90% as long as there's a doctor's order for it. 
We can have them wear compression stockings and elevate their legs on pillows in order to decrease some of that swelling in their feet. Also, because their feet are swollen and because of the medications they're on, we want to implement fall precautions and have them change positions slowly because they may have orthostatic hypotension and we don't want them passing out on us. They're probably going to have a Foley catheter in place because the diuretics are making them pee like crazy and they don't have the energy to be getting up to go to the bathroom every 20 minutes. So we need to make sure we're doing peri care and keeping the Foley line clean as well as keeping that drainage bag below the level of their bladder to prevent an infection. Remember, when we think of heart failure, we're thinking high fluids. Heart failure, high fluids. So we're going to restrict their fluid intake and their sodium intake. We limit their sodium or salt intake because where sodium goes, water follows. And we do not want them retaining any more water. So we're going to limit their fluids to 2 liters a day and their sodium to 2 grams a day. And 2 grams of sodium is not much. We need to make sure the patient isn't eating packaged foods since most packaged and canned foods are high in sodium. So no chips, no cans of soup, salad dressing, also no over-the-counter medications like cold medicine, Tums, or NSAIDs since these have sodium in them as well. We're also going to weigh these patients daily, every morning on the same scale, to make sure they're losing weight and not gaining it. And remember, we get worried if they gain more than 3 pounds in a day or 5 pounds in a week. We're also going to keep a close eye on their labs, specifically their potassium level, their BNP, or B-type natriuretic peptide. It's also called brain natriuretic peptide, so you may see those terms used interchangeably. And we're going to keep a close eye on their digoxin level if they're on digoxin. We want to see the potassium level between 3.5 and 5. For the BMP, we just want to make sure that it's not increasing. And the digoxin level needs to stay under 2.0. And then finally, we want to assess, assess, assess. We're assessing the patient with heart failure for any worsening symptoms. Can we hear more crackles when we auscultate their lungs? Do they have worsening pitting edema in their legs? Is their abdominal girth larger around? Is their blood pressure or heart rate going up? Any of these things would be bad and might indicate a need for a change to their treatment plan. All right, you guys, that's about all you need to know about heart failure. I hope you go forth and rock your tests. And if you think of a topic you'd like me to talk about over the holiday break, you can let me know by writing it in as a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast provider you use. All right, have a great week and I'll talk to you soon.